The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador. George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on KLUP 930 AM radio in San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Thank you for being with us today. We've got a great lineup for you today. We've got, uh, first of all, we've got uh, Mr. Art Del Cueto, who's uh, the Border Patrol uh, representative in uh, Arizona. He's going to be talking to us about the uh, awful situation, the stabbing of the um, Border Patrol agent this past uh, week. Uh, he was attacked by some illegal aliens, and uh, it shows how dangerous the, um, the, the uh, border uh, has gotten. Uh, we also have two friends from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies, Mark Krikorian and Jessica Vaughn, who are going to give us some updates on some uh, illegal, on some immigration issues. And a uh, very, very special guest, we've got Mr. Leo Wald, who is the Deputy Assistant to President Trump for Policy uh, in the Office of American Innovation. Now, uh, Theo is a, uh, I mean, he sits in, in the White House. I mean, this is, this is a, a high-ranking guy, very, very special guest that we've got. And uh, so without further ado, let's, uh, let's go ahead and go to Washington and go to uh, Theo. Theo, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, one of the things that we keep hearing are so many criticisms during this campaign season about what the president hasn't done and what the president has done wrong. What has he done right when it comes to immigration uh, policy and immigration issues? Hey, thanks for having me back, George. I always appreciate the chance to chat with you. Yeah, so, you know, what I'd say at the outset is, uh, for all your listeners, is the important thing to remember when evaluating the president's record is to really hone in on the fact that he's operated with one sort of central thesis, which is he's done what he said he would do. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you can take my word for that, or your listeners can go and pull down the 2016 immigration speech the president gave in Phoenix, Arizona. He had about 10 major promises there, and, and you know, because the president likes to go off the cuff and kind of extemporize, he probably had about 50 or 60 sub-promises he worked in there. So about 70 to 80 major promises on immigration. He's done about 90% of them. Um, and, and the thing in Washington, is you, as you know, George, it, the more successful the president has been, uh, the more the, the mainstream media, uh, the fake news, uh, are silent about it. You know, success breeds silence here. They don't want to talk about the president's accomplishments. So, you know, things like the wall. Um, the president said that he was going to build a wall. Uh, he was fought at almost every turn. Uh, in getting the construction going, fought by the Democrats in Congress over the money, sued by every left-leaning advocacy group un- under the sun. And now we're doing about a mile a day, about 10 miles a week. We're up to about 400 miles in total. Uh, it's incredibly impressive, but here's the important point on the wall, is that it's working. Um, any number of folks who said, you know, walls are from the dark ages, they don't do anything but divide communities, it turns out they what they really do is they keep our law enforcement officers safe. Uh, they end human trafficking rings. They disrupt the, the territorial ambitions of the drug cartels. And they keep a lot of really bad stuff, including you know fake pharmaceuticals and counterfeit goods from coming into our country, not to say anything about the guns and the drugs. So the wall has been a huge success story. Talk to any operator on the border, and they'll tell you it's really made their jobs more effective. Uh, the president is also... Um, almost unilaterally reformed our nation's asylum system. Uh, and he did that in, in, one, in a way that only Donald Trump could do. Uh, he did it by a direct negotiation with the government in Mexico and the governments in Honduras and El Salvador and in uh, Guatemala. And, and this was something, George, you know, no one has talked about. Nobody And no one in the swamp wants to give him credit because, look, the Bush administration uh, couldn't do this. They tried and they weren't able to do it. The Obama administration, they didn't even try. They didn't even give it a go. And, and they 
nearly all to a person laughed, practically laughed in the president's face when he said he was going to do bilateral negotiations with these countries. But the president got an agreement with Mexico. There are now about 27,000 Mexican troops on the Mexican border uh, uh, down in the southwest. Uh, protecting their side, but also in turning around the criminal syndicates, turning around the migrant caravans and sending those folks back. And then he went on to negotiate those agreements with the Northern Triangle countries, which ultimately has produced what everybody wants. We all want a strong Mexico and a strong Central America. We need strong partners in our hemisphere, especially as the Chinese increase uh, their footprint here and and they look to create mischief with our closest neighbors. So having strong neighbors uh, who can join us in the economic recovery we're going to need for the hemisphere after this this pandemic ends is the ultimate aim of the president and and the wall and the, the asylum reforms are only contributing to that. And then the last thing I'd say is, look, The president has pushed the federal bureaucracy at every turn, every turn to put the American worker first. And to give a flavor of that, some folks may have seen, national media didn't want to talk about it, but some folks may have seen the president took the Tennessee Valley Authority to task a few months ago. Uh, The Tennessee Valley Authority is actually a federal agency created by Roosevelt to bring jobs to depressed areas in the southeast. It's a giant electrical utility company provides um, utility power generation for about eight states. Uh, The leadership of the Tennessee Valley Authority had decided that they were going to take 300 American jobs and give them to foreign visa holders from China. And uh, the, the, the real important thing here to know is that would mean that foreign nationals would be working with national security infrastructure, including a nuclear power plant. The president told the TVA to reverse course. They, uh, said, no, we're sticking to our plan. So the president then fired the leadership of the Tennessee Valley Authority. Um, And then they got the memo. They reinstated the 300 American workers, canceled the consultancy contract. And another good piece of of news that's come out of this was the Tennessee Valley Authority with the contract with General Electric was going to build six huge electrical generators overseas. They've now pulled that contract down, renegotiated a new one with GE to build those generators here in the United States with American worker muscle. Uh, so, you know, look, putting the American worker first is, is, a, is a fight day in and day out, but it's been the central mission of this president's uh, time in office. So, look, the, the accomplishments have been pretty significant. That's amazing. You know, that's a great story regarding the uh, Tennessee Valley Authority. Um, you know, for, for so long, we have watched... Uh, the I-9 issue uh, go by the wayside. We've seen so many, so many times that uh, it's either ignored or uh, fraudulently used. I mean, folks uh, will just claim that they, um, they have the authority to work in the United States when they really, really don't. Uh, Is there going to be more enforcement, internal enforcement by ICE of, uh, uh, of, of uh, businesses to make sure that they are uh, complying? Yeah, I I think so, because, Look, I mean, everyone, and, and you see this in the polling whenever you, you do the sort of cross tabs of demographic groups, whether it's you know, Hispanic Americans um, or, you know, whether it, it's working class um, white Americans, everyone agrees almost uniformly. They want the law enforced and they want it enforced fairly, not arbitrarily. They want it done fairly. And, and that's why people find this country so attractive, legal immigrants who, who want to become American, they like the American experience, the opportunities here, but most legal immigrants will tell you the opportunity only exists because of our system of law, that it's not just a pick and choose which law to enforce on what day. And so, yeah, I think fair enforcement of the immigration statutes is going to be something you'll see um, throughout, not only have you seen throughout these three and a half years, but you're going to see in a second term as well. And, and, you know, look, George, the thing I'd, I'd say to all your listeners, um, you know, San Antonio and, and South Texas is, is a different place, obviously, than the Pacific Northwest. But but look at Seattle, look at Portland, or even, you know, look at New York City uh, and the, the rioting, the, you know, the looting, the violence to small businesses. I mean, the, the looters have basically targeted small business holders, the multinational corporations. They can write it off with their complicated insurance policies, but it's just destroyed small businesses left and right. And all of that really grows out of the same notion of, of sanctuary city jurisdictions where you know people pick and choose what laws they're going to enforce and pick and choose what people are going to have to obey the law. And the ultimate outcome is law-abiding families 
uh, small business owners are, are, are you know, punished um, because of the outcomes. And so I think fair enforcement of the law is the, it has been the president's central mission. And, and the, what's, the, what's the gain for the American, the American people? president enforces the law, and the American citizen gets to control their own life and, and have a prosperous uh, community to call home. You got it. You know, we've been having a lot of Trump trains in, uh, in South Texas, uh, the vast majority of them populated with, you know, I would say the majority are are uh, Hispanic uh, citizens, and all of them continue to um, to applaud the president on the issue of uh, of the border wall and uh, border security. So I'm not sure where, you know, some of the news folks are getting their idea that uh, that Hispanics are opposed to uh, to to uh, border security or the wall. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it's almost gospel here in Washington that you, you can't talk about enforcement of our nation's uh, laws, including our immigration laws, um, and also expect to have support from for Hispanic voters. And, and I think it's just it's, it's incredibly patronizing and insulting um, that, that somehow, uh, you know, Hispanic voters don't also care about, you know, the enforcement of the law or having uh, functioning law enforcement uh, systems, whether it's on the border or, you know, on the beat in their local neighborhood. I think everyone who, who loves this country knows that what makes this country special is, is obviously we've got the rule of law, but the rule of law is what enables us to have good schools, uh, you know, small businesses, um, economic opportunity long term. And so, so yeah, I, I think it's this conventional wisdom in Washington. And, and trust me, uh, the, the other side, the left, has definitely um, basically memorized that playbook. And we're going to hear all about that next week and the week after in the debates. It, it's going to be how vicious and cruel and mean-spirited uh, you know, Republicans are. And all of it will be based on a lie. <laughs> Theo, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us, folks. We've been talking with Mr. Theo Wald, Deputy Assistant to, the Pre- to President Trump for Policy in Washington, D.C. Thank you very, very much for your work and everything you do, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me on again, George. I really appreciate it. You got it. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. my friends, once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, uh, our good friend, uh, Mr. Mark Krikorian, the Executive Director of the Center for Immigration Studies uh, in D.C. And um, I wanted to reach out to Mark because uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, discussion going on right now as we... uh, are battling not only with the pandemic and the uh, uh, economic shutdown in the United States, uh, but there's a lot of folks who continue to advocate for um, uh, illegal immigration or for the illegal aliens. And um, Mark, thanks for taking time to be with us. Talk to us about this whole issue regarding criminals, uh, that, uh, that criminals aren't the only people that should be deported, because a lot of folks are all upset because people are being deported right now. Uh, talk to us about that. Sure. Um, the, obviously, there's more illegal immigrants than the Immigration Service can deport. In other words, that, that there's other ways that, in addition to deportation, you have to address the issue of illegal immigrants who are here. Uh, but the successive administrations have made a big show both under Bush and Obama, of deporting criminals. But the implicit concept under that, that, uh, those PR efforts 
was that criminals are the only people who should be deported. In other words, that, that just being an illegal immigrant alone, in other words, having snuck across the border or having come in legally on a visa and then just not left when your time was up, that that alone should not be reason enough for somebody to be deported. And that's what we clearly need to push against. Under President Trump, that policy was uh, has been changed, has been ended, uh, because under Obama, if ICE went to take into custody somebody who there was a warrant out for, or whatever reason, you know, he was some kind of criminal bad guy, that if they found in the house other illegal aliens, they were literally not allowed under Obama to take them into custody and remove them. Uh, that no longer is the case. But, and this is what kind of concerns me, is that ICE had, makes a big show when they round up and deport uh, various criminals, as they should. That needs to be a high priority. But ICE also needs to make clear that committing crimes is not the only thing that will get you deported, that every illegal immigrant is deportable at all times. And let me give you an analogy uh, to different areas of law enforcement where people, I think, will get it. Uh, traffic enforcement. Obviously, if there's some guy driving 100 miles an hour on a you know side street by a school firing a gun out the window, that's top priority for the police. They're going after that guy. The state police, the state troopers are going to go. That's, that's job number one. But that's not the only thing they do. In other words, it's not as though in traffic enforcement you wait only for people who are driving 100 miles an hour by a school firing a gun out the window, and everyone else gets a free pass. That is essentially what, under Obama and Bush, we were doing with uh, deportation. And under uh, President Trump, that's not, they've, they've um, not, they've ended that official policy, but I'm just afraid that when ICE does deport criminals, as they should, and that's a good thing and they want to focus on it, that they make clear that routine immigration enforcement against illegal immigrants who aren't raping or killing anybody also has to take place at the same time. That makes sense because um, in, in, in the news media, particularly Spanish language media, I hear a lot of interviews with people defending folks who were only here illegally, who were not criminals, as they put it. And they were their only crime was that they were here illegally. Well, you know, that's a crime. I mean, that's why we use the term illegal, without documents. Right. And, and actually, uh, even that um, is a little um, uh, not, not entirely accurate because the, the way you usually put it, the activists you're talking about are saying they're otherwise law-abiding illegal immigrants. Correct. Well, well, if they're actually established here and have been living here and working here for a while, they've been violating federal criminal laws in a whole bunch of ways. For instance, and I don't even mean crossing the border. I'm talking about using a fake ID, submitting fake uh, tax information. There's tax fraud, ID theft, ID fraud, many cases, um, false claims of being a U.S. citizen. There's all kinds of federal crimes that you have to commit in order to live here over a long period of time as an illegal alien. We actually have a whole paper from a few years back called The Myth of the Otherwise Law-Abiding Illegal Alien. And it's true, most illegal immigrants are not committing uh, violent crimes. They're not rapists, they're not murderers, they're not even drug dealers. But, you know, uh, does that mean that stealing the identity of an American child to, in order to get a job is not is okay? Is that not a crime? Is driving drunk not a crime? Is that all right? So, um, so in other words, my point is even the idea 
that regular illegal aliens are somehow just regular, you know, are not breaking any laws except, you know, they happen to kind of have wandered across the wrong side of the border. Even that idea is false. That's exactly right. Let me ask you another question. Um, because uh, there has been also a lot of discussion down here on the border regarding, uh, again, by the, by the liberal leftist media and activists, that um, the people that are waiting for asylum on the Mexican side are suffering. Uh, there have been uh, extensive uh, articles, um, even by the New York Times and uh, uh, a couple of other ones. The New Yorker magazine was down here. Um, you know, these folks uh, uh, seem to think that asylum, somebody declaring asylum, should automatically give them the, uh, the opportunity to enter the United States. Talk to us about that. The uh, asylum, just to quickly explain it, is basically the same as being a refugee, except that the way the terms are different in our law, because a refugee is someone who claims persecution that we go overseas and pluck out of a refugee camp and bring here. So the government affirmatively makes a decision. Asylum is for people who claim they're being persecuted, but who show up on their own. They sneak into the country or they, you know, they present themselves to one of the ports of entry, the immigration officers. Or maybe even they're here as a student and there's a revolution back home or something like that. Most of them, almost all of them are illegal immigrants, people who claim asylum. And asylum is, because of that, is something we don't really have control of. Congress has this whole immigration system with numerical caps and limits on different categories, limits on refugee admissions, high or low, whatever it is, the set number. Asylum is essentially the foreigners deciding whether they're going to come here or not. It's out of our control. And if you're going to have an asylum system like that, you have to maintain a very high standard. In other words, it has to be, it has to apply only to the most serious cases, because otherwise, it just becomes a way of getting into the United States and making an end run around this whole immigration system that Congress has enacted, which essentially becomes meaningless, because all you need to do is come in and say the magic words, which is what was happening. Which was, what, what was yeah, that was happening for a while, wasn't it? Oh, it was indeed. Um, because the practice had been to let people go once they crossed over, especially if they had a kid with them. And the word travels through the grapevine, so people bring in kids, usually their own kids, but sometimes kids they rent. Um, and saying, well, look, I have a kid here, I want asylum, I have a kid, you can't keep me in uh, custody. So they'd hold on to him for a few days and they'd let him go with a piece of paper saying, please show up in two years for your hearing, or something like that. Uh, it was a complete scam. And it was, uh, it was, it was getting out of control. <laughs> this administration got something done that I did not think was actually doable. And this is what you were talking about as far as the uh, asylum seekers in Mexico. Most of these people come through Mexico. They're not Mexican, they're Central American, but they could be anything, Pakistani, Chinese, you name it. Come through Mexico. They don't apply for asylum in Mexico, for the most part, even though asylum, uh, Mexico has signed the refugee treaty that governs this, the UN treaty. Mexico has a whole agency called COMAR, C-O-M-A-R. Uh, I don't know, what I forget what it stands for, but it's a refugee agency. You can Google it, look it up online, they actually have a video there, a helpful video on how to apply for asylum in Mexico. I've watched the thing. It's, you know, smiling bureaucrats and you submit your paper and all of this kind of stuff. So these people could have applied for asylum in Mexico. Obviously, they're not looking for asylum. They're looking for a way into the U.S. Correct. And what the Trump administration succeeded in doing, which I was really impressed by, actually, was getting Mexico to agree that when these people who are not Mexican sneak through the country, cross our border, say the magic words that the immigration lawyers have coached them with, they have seminars on, you know, what to say, they then send them back to the Mexican side to wait for their hearing date. Wow. And what that means is they can't use a 
Hey, Mark, we need to uh, close out. Tell the folks how they can follow uh, you guys, how they can follow the Center for Immigration Studies, and where they can uh, support it and, and uh, help you guys. The Center for Immigration Studies, we're a think tank in D.C., and our website is cis.org. It's pretty simple. We have a blog with new things every day. We have a donate button if somebody's got a few extra coins in their pocket. And as far as on Twitter, if you have a taste for snark and sarcasm, I'm on Twitter and I tweet about a lot of things, including immigration. Mark S. as in Stephen. Mark S. Record. Excellent. Thank you very much. We've been talking with Mark Krikorian, the Executive Director for the Center for Immigration Studies in D.C. Mark, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, our good friend, uh, Miss Jessica Vaughn, from uh, the Center for Immigration Studies on the line. And I wanted to reach out to her because um, there's been several things that, uh, that have occurred over the past week. Um, one of them that we reported on here was the issue of uh, Congresswoman Omar... Uh, from uh, Minnesota, who was apparently upset because there were some Somalis that were being deported, and she wanted them, she wanted the Somali citizens to be uh, uh, let off the hook on that. And um, then there's also some issues related to um, uh, HB1 visa or H1B uh, visas. And um, so, Jessica, welcome to the show. Jessica is a uh, policy analyst uh, with uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, Jessica, welcome to the show. Talk to us. First of all, talk to us about the situation with, uh, with the um, ICE being resisted, uh, the, the uh, deportations of these uh, Somali citizens. Thanks so much, George. Good to talk with you. Yes, this is truly outrageous uh, that uh, a sitting member of Congress would try to interfere with law enforcement in this way. Congress... Woman Ilhan Omar apparently found out that ICE was planning to remove a, a small plane load full of Somalians who were deportable. Most of them actually were criminal aliens. I think something like 33 out of 36 were convicted criminals, and one of them was actually a convicted terrorist who had just done time in federal prison. Uh, that they were removing them back to Somalia, and she fired off a letter suggesting to ICE that it should not be doing these deportations with some vague reference to, you know, COVID being a problem <laughs> and that they should be suspending all deportations. This is a member of Congress who has called for defunding ICE and shutting down all deportations. And uh, apparently she's more interested in protecting Somalians who've been living here illegally than protecting the uh, people who live in her district uh, because they, they were all a public safety threat and she tried to block their deportation. To its credit, ICE didn't bat an eye. They didn't slow down or miss a beat. They, uh, can, you know, they sent the flight back to uh, Somalia as planned. There was no problem in, um, you know, in you know, releasing these. Sometimes there are problems with deportation flights where the deportees will put up a ruckus and have to be subdued and refuse to get off the plane and things like that, but they didn't. So despite her best efforts, ICE um, completed the deportations, and then only after that time did they respond to her with a list of who was on the plane and why they were being deported which, uh, and basically saying, like, you should be thanking us for doing this, and I'm, you know, and I believe that her constituents would thank ICE for doing those deportations because of who these people were, but it's just outrageous that someone would, would try to interfere with that on a trumped-up excuse, like, you know, that maybe they hadn't been tested for COVID. Um, it's, it's silly, I mean, as I'm sure you know, most of ICE's caseload is deporting 
that fraction of the immigrant population that has committed crimes. And, you know, there needs to be a lot more enforcement in certain other ways. But I, I don't think there should be any disagreement that terrorists and criminals should be removed back to their home country. <laughs> to say the least. So, <laughs> yeah. To say yeah, the but least. that shows you, I mean, that how far some um, on uh, some members of Congress are willing to take this issue of opposition to ICE, that it's, it's really quite unreasonable, and yet they do this with a straight face, and she seems willing to use her position to try to interfere in law enforcement, which is also a no-no, I think, for most people. It's incredible. Uh, tell us a little bit about how things are going with the investigations on MS-13. Well, this is one area where ICE has really been very strong. I, I think that ICE is the premier federal law enforcement agency in addressing the problem of MS-13 and the violence that they have brought to so many communities around the country. Um, they they um, be- first began to try to suppress MS-13 back in the mid-2000s uh, when they created a special gang unit at ICE headquarters to deal with this because MS-13 is a transnational gang. They have leadership in El Salvador, but um, probably at least 10,000 members here in the United States. And they um, they are insidious, in particularly um, insidious because they are very, very violent. They, they do not have a fear of law enforcement, and they recruit among young school children in middle schools sometimes and certainly in the high schools and they are so brutal you know they they are intimidating to many people and so they get away with a lot and ice got a, a pretty good handle on them by the end of, you know by 2010 2011 or so they had really um reduced their presence in the united states and then a few years later when the a crisis of unaccompanied minors began with hundreds and then thousands and then tens of thousands of mostly teenagers coming across the border and benefiting from catch and release. Then the gang started sending over more recruits to repopulate their gangs in certain parts of the country. They're in Texas, they're around the Washington, D.C. area, Long Island, Boston, parts of California, and a few other places, um, the, the gang has gotten out of hand again because of this un- entry of unaccompanied minors, and now ICE is trying to play catch up with them yet again. There's been a series of horrific murders and uh, uh, incidents of other uh, sexual assaults and other crimes that have been committed by very young MS-13 members. Um, we've identified dozens of cases of murders where the victims were teenagers and the perpetrators were teenagers. And it's, you know, this is one uh, area where cooperation between ICE and local law enforcement agencies is very important because because of the reach of MS-13 and their transnational nature, it's difficult for a local law enforcement agency to deal with them. And the fact that most of the members are in the country illegally is a very effective tool to use to, to simply remove these gang members from American communities instead of simply you know, letting them be recycled through the criminal justice system. And so sanctuaries are a problem in that regard because they don't allow the local police to cooperate with ICE. But in those places where they do, they have made great strides in, um, again, snuffing out many of the local cells of MS-13 to great effect. And, and they need to, because again, this is a very violent gang and one that um, builds its ranks by not only bringing people over the border illegally, but also by recruiting in the schools. I had also heard that, um, or read that uh, the um, uh, Los Angeles uh, Sheriff's Department had released several hundred uh, illegal aliens uh, who were arrested and held. I would imagine that among them there were some uh, MS-13 gang members. 
Oh, almost certainly, and it's actually not hundreds of illegal alien criminals that they've released. It's in the thousands. No kidding. Um, oh my gosh. That's yeah. It's really um, it's really a problem. They used to cooperate with ICE to a great extent years ago, and when the California legislature passed a series of sanctuary bills. They have shut down a lot of that cooperation, although they still can for serious criminals, even under California state law. But the new sheriff of Los Angeles, Sheriff Villanueva, recently decided that he was not going to cooperate with ICE at all and going to release all criminals that were wanted by ICE, um, you know, at the time when they finished their local sentence. And so, you know, I mean, years ago, I know that um, there were about 50 criminal aliens a day being released by the L.A. County Jail. And now all of them are back on the streets, and ICE has to expend a lot of resources to try to find these people. They can't always find them. They only find you know, maybe, maybe half of them at the most. Um, and so it's a big problem for ICE. It's a big problem for the community, uh, and there's no excuse for it. That's outrageous, absolutely outrageous. Uh, we've only got about a minute to go. Um, can you tell us really, really quick about this situation with the um, with the H-1B visa giveaways? Yes. Uh, the Trump administration has been trying to reform the H-1B visa program, which is a guest worker program for um, white-collar foreign workers. And most of them work in the tech industry. And um, it has recently come to light that these, the existence of these visas and uh, enables some companies to completely bypass American workers and especially um, Hispanic, black, female, and Native American uh, workers who have gotten degrees in technology but now find themselves closed out of job opportunities because companies are preferring uh, guest workers from overseas and paying them less. And this is, you know, the, the woke industry that's supposed to be so um, progressive and forward-thinking, and yet their own hiring practices are horribly discriminatory. And, um, you know, it's, it's time that they get called out on this. And, you know, they need to start uh, examining themselves instead of serving as the judgment, you know, serving to judge everyone else in the country for their attitudes and practices and um, you know it's becoming more widely known right now uh, and I hope that we can continue this discussion we're planning to have a a panel discussion in the near future to examine this and feature a number of tech workers who can explain how and why this happened wow all right well uh, Jessica thank you very very much for taking time to be with us Um, how can the folks read more about you well, everything we publish is on our website at cis.org, and I'm on Twitter at, at Jessica V underline CIS. Great. Once again, my friends, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador. We've been talking with Jessica Vaughn from the Center for Immigration Studies on KLUP 930 AM radio, The El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Howdy, 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 my friends. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, my good buddy, 
uh, Art Del Cueto, who is a, uh, a Border Patrol agent in uh, the uh, Arizona border, uh, Mexico border. And he is, uh, I, I reached out to him because uh, I'd like for him to tell us about the situation uh, the other day that happened with uh, the stabbing uh, of a Border Patrol agent. And I'd like for him to tell us also about how, how dangerous, I mean, some people don't understand sometimes how dangerous it is for the Border Patrol agents. Uh, Art, thank you for taking time to be with us. Welcome to the show. Uh, tell us about this incident and, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the dangers that you guys face sometimes. No, thank you. First off, my friend, thank you for having me on. I really, really appreciate it, as always. It's, it's always a great pleasure to be on your show. Uh, because it, I think you have that audience where, you know, you have the Latinos there, too, that are willing to listen. And, and I think that's, that's a huge thing. Uh, I think generally Latinos are conservative. They just uh, they just haven't they haven't been told exactly what what, what it's about. And you do a, a fantastic job of that. So I want to thank you uh, on that front right off the bat. Second off, uh, obviously when I when I do these shows and I explain what's going on, I do it on behalf of the National Border Patrol Council, not on behalf of the agency. I want to get that disclaimer out there because sometimes the agency gets upset and says, "Hey, are you representing the agency?" No, if I was representing the agency, I would give you the cookie-cutter explanation because I have, I'm blessed and I'm privileged to speak on behalf of the National Border Patrol Council. I'm able to tell you the truth. And uh, the truth is, you know, the job is extremely dangerous, as we saw just recently here a couple of days ago with uh, a Border Patrol agent that was patrolling down in the Nogales, Arizona area, and he was attacked by one individual that was entering the country legally. He did stab him. Uh, the agent has had to use uh, deadly force in order to survive from the attack. Uh, when I found out, I immediately headed over towards um, the hospital to make sure that the, that the agent's fine. I usually do that all the time when there's a significant incident, just to make sure the agent's taken care of and everything's done and his rights aren't violated. That's a big issue that 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 we like to see is that you know everyone's got to do process. But I believe this is, uh, you know, it's pretty much cut and dry, uh, the situation. Obviously, you know, he gets stabbed in the back several times. He had the puncture wounds. Uh, but FBI is the lead on the investigation, so there's really not much I can talk about other than, you know, I'm happy I was there to make sure he was fine. Uh, I believe he's going to be okay, you know, and, and that's what's important at the end of the day. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it does show the dangers that, that we encounter. Uh, especially now, now uh, more so than, than than we've seen in the past, the drugs that are coming into the United States. Before you would see the occasional, you know, uh, heroin here and there, but now it's almost as much as you, you see marijuana constantly. But you're seeing heroin come across, you're seeing methamphetamines, you're seeing fentanyl come across, and those are dangerous drugs. You can pack more in smaller spaces. So and and it's it's way more expensive. So these individuals that are crossing it into our country are willing to take more risks and fight more when they're bringing their garbage into the United States. What has helped, and, and, and you, we got to admit it, what has helped a lot is putting a wall in strategic places because then it funnels the traffic to other areas where you can concentrate technology and more agents and, and different things like that. So, I mean, that's always important. Uh, but yeah, no, the dangers are there. The dangers, you know, the, people don't realize uh, how bad it is. And a lot of the times when you're working in these remote areas and you get attacked, you're kind of shell-shocked. So you got to remember where you're at. And it's, it's no knock on our local law enforcement, right? But when you're, you're in local law enforcement, you can, you know, at least look at the street and say, you know, I'm in such and such street with such and such avenue or give a street number. When you're in the middle of nowhere, uh, the best you can do is, start yelling and telling them, hey, you got to find the tallest saguaro or the, the tallest mesquite tree, and that's kind of where I'm at. So it, it, that that is a, a huge factor in itself also. That's amazing. You know, I was looking at the statistics, and in 2020, so far this year, 11 uh, Border Patrol agents have lost their lives in the call of duty, uh, while, in, while in the call of duty. And uh, that, uh, you know, that, that that's an amazing number, given... Uh, this, uh, you know, the, the, the situation on the border. Uh, is this, 
you know, have you seen an increase in the violence on the uh, on the border in the past uh, few years? I mean, I remember when I was, you know, I mean, back in the 80s when I was working uh, for Commissioner Nelson, I remember about, you know, uh, rock-throwing incidents and that kind of stuff, which was, you know, but, uh, you know, this, this situation of 11 of them dying under, you know, I mean, uh, it, it, it has has the border become that much more in, uh, dangerous? With with more drugs being introduced, and obviously fentanyl wasn't a big deal before, now it is, right? But when you start seeing more drugs being introduced into the country, when you start seeing the amount of money, and at the same time, let's be honest, when you start seeing that it's harder for them to get their product across into the U.S., you know, when it's harder to get their product, you're gonna you're gonna use extreme measures. So you know, the violence has uptick. A lot of things that, that have been happening, we don't see it now. So lately, under the, the Trump administration, it's been different, this aspect of it. But other past administrations, one of the issues that we had to deal with is they would assault an agent and they would not prosecute the individual for assaulting the agent. Wow. And that, that was a big problem, you know, wow. back in the last administration. <clears throat> but, you know, obviously the violence increases because they're trying to get their product across. There's more technology also, uh, and, I mean, there's more weapons. There's more weapons, so they're, they're, they're willing to, to argue, they're willing to fight, they're willing to use more violence. And, and, and then, again, you, you're seeing the lack of respect towards law enforcement across the country. So when that is being blasted on the news, when you're seeing people, you know, pretty much stand in the, in, uh, inches away from law enforcement and, and, and yell at them and spit in their faces and face no consequences, that hits the news, and the news cycles go down there to other countries, and other countries think, you know what, they're not going to hurt, they're not going to arrest you, they're, you're not facing consequences. So that, that alone also sends a bad message. Uh, I think there needs to be consequences for a, a lot of the actions of, of these individuals to include the people in the United States that uh, show such disrespect for our local law enforcement. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, the portrayal, the portrayal in the uh, media of uh, of criminals, uh, regardless of what you know, it was a major crime or a minor crime, it's uh, you know they're, that they're always the victims of law enforcement is amazing. I mean, we've got uh, you know, I mean the the continuing situation where. Uh, the other day, CNN was running the pictures of the kids in cages again, and those cages, those pictures were all taken during the Obama administration. Yeah, that, that's something that I continuously argue with people when they say, well, how about these pictures? I'm like, yeah, no, that was during the Obama administration. And even then, you know, I'm, I'm not going I'm not, I'm not to sit here and, and defend the Obama administration, but I will tell you this. Those were temporary holding cells that it was because of the high number and high volume of on uh, accompanied juveniles that were entering the country at the time, there was just nowhere to, to, to place them. So they were being held there. They're, they're, one, they were underage. Two, we didn't know where their parents were at all. They were pretty much abandoned by their parents. So those individuals were being placed in these temporary holding cells. Yeah, they resemble cages. I won't make an excuse for what they look like, but we people need to understand, one, they were temporarily, and two, they were under the Obama administration. It wasn't under the Trump administration. So that that those are a couple of things that you know the, the, some of the media forget to mention that part. Yeah, let me ask you here. We've only got about uh, a minute and a half to go. Uh, let me ask you real quick. Besides the physical danger, uh, how are the uh, how are the agents holding up when it comes to the issue of uh, of uh, COVID uh, and uh, any any diseases that these uh, that these aliens might be carrying when they come across? So when you first get the job, um, you know you're pretty much told expect to be, you know, in contact with communicable diseases, but no one expected this pandemic. That's a, a huge issue. Uh, the agency has taken different uh, routes to try to make sure the agents are taken care of. One of the issues that we're going to encounter, and I can tell you right now because I've seen it, is they have certain vehicles that are designated just for transport. Those vehicles are, 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 are you know, it's 24-7. They're getting run, 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 and they're getting pretty beat up. So, you know, my, 
and there's no mistaking that you're a border patrol agent. <laughs> and what difference does it make exactly. as long as the agent's, you know, protecting himself? And I think that's one of the issues that uh, uh, just some managers up there in, in, in certain areas that are comfortable behind the desk don't realize uh, the dangers and, and, and the issues that some of these agents have to face, not just with the individuals we arrest, but with the weather, the temperature. You know, Arizona's cooled down. People are saying, hey, Arizona has finally cooled down. Yesterday, everyone was saying, oh, we're finally cooled down. It was 100 degrees. <laughs> 100 degrees, that's cooled down out here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, I mean, they're, they're, it, it does have those extremes. I mean, you, you know, further further west that you go on on the border towards uh, California, you do get into mountains, but uh, it's certainly not the case in, in the in the, in the the Nogales area. That's not, that's certainly not the case there. Yeah, it's different. It's yeah. different. Every, every, every sector is different. It's got different aspects. And at the same time, you have different smuggling organizations that are either smuggling drugs or people on the south side and they have different types of trends and different ways to operate so i mean they just got to stay on their toes at all times you got it all right thank you very very much for taking time to be with us uh please you know uh, be safe and tell the tell the uh, agents how much we really really appreciate everything that they do to defend and protect us thank you so much i really appreciate being on your show and real quick shameless shout out for myself if people want to follow me and see what's going on i do have a, uh, an instagram page it's, it's the art del cuento instagram page and i post different things on there all the time uh to include stories of what's really going on the border you got it yeah we, we, we want to we want to support art uh in his uh in his blog and his program in his podcast thanks a lot really appreciate you you take Ready. care my man you be good bye-bye all right brother bye